MSW Media. Thanks to BetterHelp for supporting Cleanup on Aisle 45. For 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash cleanup. Start living a better life today with BetterHelp. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 52 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. It's Wednesday, January 12th, 2022. I'm your co-host, Allison Gill, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Andrew Torres. Allison, always a pleasure. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing well. I'm over the COVID. I've tested negative now. I'm just going to do another test tomorrow to double check. Uh, Excellent. But I am uh, fully recovered. I I am glad to hear that we had uh, an exposure scare here, but uh, whole family has uh, tested negative. Although you know you you go through that like every time seasonal allergies or you sniffle or you're like, mm. hmm, I worked eighteen hours yesterday and I feel really tired today. Maybe that's COVID. You know? <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so lots of lots of positive things. I gotta I gotta break a negative thing to you, Allison. Uh-oh. What is it? We had zero new patrons last week. So, oh. you know, I, you've been thinking about the show. Now's an excellent time to, you know, break us out of our funk. And uh, by the way, we will shower you with praise. And if you are a patron, A, thank you. 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 Hmm. B, you know, why not uh, shame a friend or family member into supporting <laughs> us? Man, that's what this is about. Shame that in January. That is what this is about. I, it is about getting people to give us money for a free product. So, you know, we got we to gotta use every tactic available at our disposal. Seriously, though, we do love our patrons. You literally Indeed. make the show possible. And therefore, this Friday, two days from Woo-hoo! now, at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, we are going to host an Ask Us Anything Zoom hangout for uh, patrons of Clean Up on L45. So if you'd like to get a shout out on the show, get the ad free feed, plus all of our bonus stuff like this Zoom that we're going to have this Friday, Head over to patreon.com slash aisle45pod, that's A-I-S-L-E, 45-P-O-D, and sign up for as little as a buck an episode. And now, on with the show. Andrew, we have such a great show today. <laughs> I, I am so excited. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't even express what a good show this is, what an incredible interview we're going to have in the second half of the show with Congressman Krishnamurthy. Um, and we've got some comings and goings. So we're going to pack all of our comings and goings and cleanup stuff here into the A block, what we call the first segment, so that uh, we can we can get everything ready to talk to the congressman in the second half of the show because it's it it's a really it's going to be just an incredible interview, I think. Uh, that let's do it. All right, so let's kick this off with a new rule. 
The U.S. Mm. Department of Health and Human Services released a proposed rule on January 5th that includes provisions that would prohibit discrimination against LGBTQ plus people in health care and required health care plans to cover gender affirming care. So yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yet yet another way uh, on the thousands long list uh, in which it makes a difference having an administration that shares your values. So the rule is called the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. HHS Notice of Benefit and Payment Parameters for 2023 uh, which you know that means a lawyer wrote that. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> it's not, the, good, not really full of pizzazz. It's not, it? you know, yeah. The text notes that it's a result of President Biden's executive order January 21, 2021. So, you know, second day in office against discrimination. Uh, and uh, that order uh, required HHS to review all existing regulations and guidelines in consideration of that executive order, and as a result of our review of certain regulations, we propose to amend HHS regulations such that exchanges, right, healthcare exchanges, issuers, agents, brokers are prohibited from discriminating based on sexual orientation and gender identity. Yeah, and the, the rule would affect health plans sold through the Affordable Care Act healthcare exchanges and restore some of the protections rolled back by the Trump administration. It would clarify, how many times have we said restoring shit rolled back by the Trump administration? <laughs> it would clarify what insurers must do to avoid discriminating. So it's not just don't discriminate. It's here's what you must do to avoid discriminating on the basis of sex under those plans and would enforce Biden administration policies following on the 2020 Supreme Court ruling Bostock v. Clayton County, which we've talked about many times. Yeah, and, and those were the consolidated um uh, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 cases that um, rather surprisingly, and again, this was a, a, a pre-Amy Coney Barrett court, right? Uh, the question, I think a lot of Supreme Court observers, you know, was uh, where is uh, Chief Justice uh, Roberts going to fall? Uh, and uh, and not only did, did Chief Justice Roberts uh, rule on the side that... Um, uh, that said that gender identity and sexual orientation were covered by uh, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 by Title VII's uh, prohibition on discrimination in employment on the basis of sex. Uh, but uh, that drew uh, a, a vote from Neil Gorsuch as well, who wrote the majority opinion. Um, this tracked uh, what uh, what we've been following in opening arguments for a long time, uh, the the original Seventh Circuit opinion, I I, I flagged for you uh, what we called the Flaum and Ripple concurrence, which basically said, look, um, by definition, by by Boolean logic, right? Mm -hmm. If I treat you differently because you sleep with a man, then I would treat so you know me for sleeping with a man. That is discrimination, quote, on the basis of sex. There is no conceivable way to separate sexual orientation uh, from uh, sex, uh, despite the fact that it is also equally clear as a matter of, of uh, you know, history that the people who wrote uh, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 were, were not considering uh, sexual orientation. Um, the, the question was, did the principle they enshrined into law, should that properly extend uh, to gender identity and, uh, and and sexual orientation? The Supreme Court, maybe the last good decision we will ever see uh, coming out of this Supreme Court, uh, Bostock versus uh, Clinton County, 6-3 uh, ruling said, uh, yes, it does. Um, so 
With all that as background, the focus of the new HHS rule is narrower than that of the Section 1557 uh, of the Affordable Care Act. Uh, that flatly prohibits discrimination in healthcare. And was, of course, gutted by the Trump administration in 2020 pre-Bostock. So multiple lawsuits challenging both the Trump-era administration's changes and the Obama-era regulations itself are, of course, still pending because lawyers are the worst. Because lawyers are the worst. That's true. Uh, what a what a f- that's like flawless logic to me. If I sleep with a woman yeah. and you sleep with a woman and you treat me differently, that's sex there you go. discrimination. Just not because and, of and, who I'm having sex with, but because of my gender. Right. And 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 again, <laughs> this was the hardest thing I've ever had to say on opening arguments. It's no easier here two years later. But I mean, give Neil Gorsuch credit, right? Yeah. Like it it he said it, it is a question. His flavor of originalism is uh what starts with what does the plain language of of those words mean um and uh you know and 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 i was proud that we predicted that a similar uh concurrence from the 7th circuit uh in the uh, in the hively case which was consolidated into this uh you know provided that that swing vote um i will also add um if you ever want to feel good about humanity and you know the show doesn't give you a lot of reasons a lot of the time <laughs> um go 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 read that opinion the, the 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 gorsuch opinion in bostock um and it is in addition to reaching the right result for the right reasons um it it it, it was clearly vetted uh by uh by folks uh, with you know connections to the transgender community right like it 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 i have read uh out you know uh, pro LGBTQ plus decisions written by allies that nevertheless use cringe inducing vocabulary. Right. Um, I'm not going to repeat that and, 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 you know, cause, uh, cause pain to our listeners, but like, you know, it, it, yeah, yeah. it's hard to get right. And this gets it right on every level. So, um, yeah, unlike to the flu causes hundreds of thousands of deaths every year. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, let's let's switch gears. Let's talk about yeah. comings and goings. I have a going for Ooh. us today, Mr. Michael Carvajal, director of the U.S. Bureau of Prisons, whose tenure at the agency was marred by scandals, uh, sexual abuse, pandemic-induced struggles, is resigning after nearly two years Thank in the top God. position. <laughs> yeah, Carvajal began his career in 1992 as a correctional officer at a prison in, guess the state? Mm, Texas. Yeah rose to the agency's top post in February of 2020 after he was appointed by the Trump administration's attorney general, Bill Barr. Uh, and of course, his tenure uh, was was marked by what the press generously describes as scrutiny over a myriad number of issues within the agency, including its handling of the coronavirus pandemic, which was uh, worse than the Trump administration's in general. That That's a low bar to, to limbo under. Uh, with with Carvajal presiding over the BOP for effectively the entirety of the pandemic so far, about one in three BOP inmates have tested positive for the virus. Um, that's according to their own numbers, uh, and that is a rate nearly double the U.S. population. Mm. Well, bye bye. Yeah. Uh, and in some good news. Suffolk County, Massachusetts DA Rachel Rollins officially submitted her resignation today to the Massachusetts governor, Charlie Baker, as she prepares to take over as Biden's U.S. attorney for Massachusetts. Yep. 
Rollins was nominated way back in July of last year. Way back in July <laughs> of last year. And then, Andrew, your good friend Ted Cruz labeled her a pro-criminal activist <sighs> and uh, paving the way for her nomination to be deadlocked 8-8 in the Judiciary Committee and ultimately 50-50 on the Senate floor. Yeah, um, and I cannot emphasize how ridiculous that was. So look, here's the real story. Rollins, like everyone who's followed the evidence at every level, regardless of party affiliation, understands that the fixed broken windows model of crime pioneered in the 1990s is A, super duper racist, and B, clogs up the criminal justice system with a ton of low-level offenders, right? So, and, and, and again, I cannot emphasize strongly enough how bar- bipartisan this is among prosecutors, boots on the ground, who deal with these issues. Um, Rollins announced very sensibly as district attorney that she would focus on serious offenses and move petty crimes like shoplifting, trespassing, and resisting arrest without any underlying crime in in addition, right, Uh, to non-criminal mental health and drug treatment courts. Yay, and the crowd goes wild. That's what everybody wants. Prosecutors want that. Judges want that. I mean, hardcore right-wing prosecutors want that. Cops want that. (laughs) Just right. Yeah, exactly. And 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 the result of that program was the violent crime rates dropped in Boston from twenty to twenty to twenty twenty one. Uh, breaking with the national trend. That includes homicide, controls for both progressive and conservative jurisdictions within Suffolk County. But that didn't stop your buddy, Ted Cruz. All right. What's the word when you say stuff that's not true, but you don't care? Oh, yeah. Lying about Rollins's (laughs) record, saying, and again, this is 100% false, that crime rates skyrocketed under her watch. And how can he say that? I mean, I guess, you know, besides the good old speech or debate clause. Yeah, <laughs> well, and 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 look, I'm glad we're we're going to highlight this because this is what Ted Cruz does, right? He is typically super careful when he lies. So, for example, his press release opposing Rollins says that Americans are quote becoming very familiar with the kind of lawlessness and dangerous crime that radical left wing district attorneys like. Rollins have generated under her watch. So I, I, I don't know. Apparently she's responsible for DAs like herself, whatever that means. That, that, and then uh, yeah, I know, but I got to get to this bit of amazing subterfuge. See if you can spot the, uh, the sleight of hand here. Last year, the murder rate went up nearly 30% overall, and it went up 40% in cities with populations between a hundred thousand and 250,000. So, um, Notice that Cruz never says murder went up in Boston because, you know, it didn't. (laughs) And and notice, by the way, that Boston has 700,000 inhabitants, (laughs) right? So I I do not know uh, what the murder rate going up in cities like Hialeah, Florida and Huntsville, Alabama has to do with Rachel Rollins. Well, they aren't uh, similar (laughs) situated. They aren't DAs like her. Ted Cruz knows that he is lying with the numbers. That's why uh, he's carefully constructed this, right? You know, mm. it, 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 he's hoping that if he reads enough numbers, right, his constituents will just sort of like fall asleep and be like, yeah, 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 numbers, 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 and draw the inference that he wants, uh, which is to convince uh, the 
people who follow Ted Cruz to believe that Rollins is soft on crime and made Boston more scary, even though she isn't and she didn't. Uh, Yeah. And remember, Cruz's lies got every single Republican in the Senate to oppose her. That includes Susan Collins, who I'm sure was very concerned. Uh, It included Lisa Murkowski. It includes Mitt Weathervane Romney. So, you know, (laughs) like, let's stop pretending these are middle-of-the-road senators. They aren't. They're enablers of the Cruises and Hollies, who are occasionally, but infrequently, slightly embarrassed by how horrible they are. And there's another aspect of the Rollins story, right, beyond her demonization. It's the six-month journey she underwent from nomination to confirmation, which is part of the larger picture we've talked about on this show. A year after Biden's inauguration, only 41% of his nominees for Senate-confirmed posts have been approved. That's according to a new analysis by the Partnership for Public Service, a nonpartisan group that seeks to make the federal government more effective. God, I would I would hate to work there. <laughs> it's a t- tough job. Someone's got to do it, right? What are you doing, slogging into work today? You just play Morrissey all day on the office radio. <laughs> That's an outstanding reference. <laughs> just, just get the cure on non-stop a continuous <laughs> loop um look we've said this repeatedly on the show and 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 we get it we're, we are looking into the headwinds of uh of liberals being being uh, disappointed president biden has issued nominations at a faster pace than trump um slower than obama and bush um and and part of that has to do with uh, knowing uh, that you know the pipeline is full right um, it has taken an average of 103 days for the Senate to confirm Biden's nominees, right? So on average, three and a half months. Um, that's an average of a month longer than the Obama administration, which uh, was beset from the outset by uh, Mitch McConnell saying, mm-hmm. we're going to make Obama a one-term president. We're going to stop. If he's for it, we're against it. Um, this is things are worse now than at the height of Obama, uh, of the Republicans obstructing Obama. Twice as long as Republicans, uh, you know, as Newt Gingrich obstructing the Clinton administration, and three times as long as during the Reagan administration. Mm. Yeah, and, and listen to this. Listen to this petulant stonewalling. Last month, Chuck Schumer, Democrat, yep. majority leader, agreed to schedule a potentially contentious vote on imposing sanctions on the company behind the Russian-laid natural gas pipeline to Germany, Nord Stream 2, to satisfy Ted Cruz, who had blocked scores of State Department nominees over that issue. And as soon as he did that, 40 nominations cleared the Senate, including Mr. Biden's picks to be the U.S. ambassadors to China and Japan. But scores of, of others, as we know, remain stuck in limbo. Yeah. And, and if you're thinking, is there a linear? Of course, there's not a linear relationship between those two. So how about this one? Last month, good old Senator Tom Cotton, Republican of Arkansas, briefly refused to confirm five U.S. attorney nominees from Democratic leading states, demanding on the Senate floor that Dick Durbin, right, the senior senator of Illinois, first apologize for interrupting him more than eight months ago during a hearing. Um, that Got what he wanted, I guess. Uh, you know, I'm thinking, can we can we play the uh, like Hermes Conrad from Futurama bit mm. of going like, why don't you apologize using your nice cheap words? But uh, I, but it, look, Dick Durbin apologized uh, at the barrel of a gun, and then you know the the Senate voted to confirm all five nominees. But women are too emotional. Yeah. <laughs> 
Mm. You gotta say you're sorry. <laughs> That's not an <sighs> apology. Uh, th- I, that'd be funny. That's not a real apology. That'd be no. great if Dick Durbin was like, I'm sorry you feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then, then you know we would have, they would convene a subcommittee on the effectiveness of apologies. And ugh. I'm sorry you thought I interrupted you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this sorry month- your face smells. <laughs> sorry you poopy head. <laughs> this month, the White House resubmitted more than 100 nominations after the Senate adjourned for the December recess without taking action. Some of those nominees have been waiting nearly a year to start working. And as we know, there's still a couple of U.S. Postal Service board members awaiting confirmation. And after the break, we're going to be joined by Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy uh, to discuss that as well as congressional oversight. You do not want to miss this. Interview. It's Stay so good. <laughs> we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. And this segment of the show is brought to you by BetterHelp, bringing you professional online counseling whenever and wherever you need it most. Family and friends can be a great source of advice, but sometimes they don't exactly get it right. They'll tell you to smile more or just be happy or snap out of it. But you can get better help from BetterHelp, who will identify your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist. Plus, it's online, so it's incredibly convenient and easy to use. No sitting in traffic or crowded waiting rooms. Your counselor can be contacted at any time from anywhere, and you'll receive timely, thoughtful responses. It's safe, it's comfortable, it's secure, and it's hassle-free. Finding the right professional to talk to is crucial, and that's why BetterHelp makes it free and easy to switch your counselors if you need to. Plus, they are way more affordable than offline counseling, and they even offer financial aid. BetterHelp is not a crisis line or self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. And BetterHelp's licensed professionals specialize in all kinds of stuff like depression, anxiety, family conflicts, trauma, grief. These are specialists that might not be available in your local area, but they're available to you on BetterHelp. So start living a happier life today and get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash cleanup. And you can join the over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash cleanup for 10% off your first month. Thanks, BetterHelp. Everybody, welcome back. Honored to be joined today by Congressional Rep representing Illinois' 8th Congressional District, also serves on the House Intelligence and House Oversight Committee. We're happy today to be joined by Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy. Congressman, hello. Hey, Allison. Hi, Andrew. How are you? Fantastic. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, this Thank is, you I'm for having me. really excited to to be able to talk to you today. And uh, Andrew, I think um, I think the number <laughs> one question. This is not the number one question on everyone's <laughs> mind, but it's been a question for a very long time. Yeah, I, I think this may lead our emails right in terms of. Uh, democratic frustration at, at what sort of unfolded in front of us. Um, our, our, our listeners are pretty sophisticated, right? They understand uh, that Postmaster General Louis DeJoy was appointed uh, amidst massive conflicts of interest um, and came up with a plan to, you know, reduce post office resources during a pandemic and and in particular during the uh, the largest expansion of of vote by mail in our nation's history. Um, and, 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 and it sort of looks like that happened and then nothing happened. We, you know, our listeners know uh, he can't be removed directly. Um, but uh, but so I guess I have I have two questions for you. Um, the, the first is what can be done <laughs> about Postmaster General DeJoy uh, and how do we do it? <laughs> Well, thanks, Andrew. I get I, I get asked that question a lot, as you can probably imagine. And that, actually, going to what Allison said, this issue of the post office is perhaps uh, among the top two or three issues uh, 
that we get complaints about. Um, you have people complaining about uh, medications not arriving on time, bill payments not arriving or being sent uh, as they had before, packages not arriving. And so this is disrupting everyone's lives, as you know. And what we also know is that um, you know, Mr. DeJoy, when he came in in the summer of 2020, at the same time that Donald Trump was decrying vote by mail, uh, instituted a slowdown. Yeah. <laughs> and he and there was no he did not make any apologies for it whatsoever. Um, you know, I think on time performance went from the high 90s down into the low 80s uh, within weeks, if not months, of his taking over. And that's when uh, people like myself and my uh, and the oversight committee jumped in immediately and said, this is completely unacceptable. Fortunately, I think because of that pressure from us on the oversight committee, uh, the USPS um, ended up delivering a lot of the ballots properly, but we have to watch them like a hawk because mm -hmm. right when we uh, thought that things were getting better, then he instituted further slowdowns, he increased prices, and he called that reform. And, and in any other business, that would be called uh, a, failed, uh, a failed business practice. So now um, uh, what I did is I asked for the board to uh, remove him, um, and I didn't hear from them, so I uh, uh, wrote a letter to the president saying it's time to remove the chairman of the board. And interestingly, I got a response uh, around November 19th when the president decided to remove the chairman of the board. So that's a good first <laughs> step. There are several more steps that have to happen. But now, just for your listeners' uh, edification, the president has now replaced three of the nine uh, governors. He's nominated two more. And they have to be confirmed. But I think we're on the road to getting the votes to, to get rid of DeJoy. That's great. That's that's I think that's a sort of we were really interested in where we were with replacing some of the uh, Trumpian or cooperative uh, board members um, who, who may have been looking the other way. Uh, and and I, I always find it stunning that for some reason of all of the things that the government, all the government services we have, that the post office is somehow the one that's supposed to turn a profit. Nobody ever says, <laughs> hey, Pentagon, why are you in the red this year? Uh, you know, these are these are services and, and protected outline services in the Constitution. So it's always been a, a mystery to me as to why uh, people, Republicans, who are bent on privatization, by the way, just want that particular service to turn a profit. I don't understand it. You know, um, on top of your criticism, uh, not only does the post Postal Service get expected to turn a profit, but it also has to incur liabilities that no other private or public sector company that I'm aware of uh, has to incur. So the, the biggest is um, under the law, the post office has to fund I believe 70 years worth of uh, healthcare retirement benefits in advance, in advance. Um, and so what that essentially does is it uh, puts an albatross of tens of billions of dollars around the neck of the postal service. And then the Republicans say, see, they're not making a profit. <laughs> see, they're even more in the red. And it's just crazy. 
So we have to uh, undertake significant postal reform, take that albatross off their neck, and then allow them to uh, initiate other steps toward modernization. But in the meantime, we can't make things work worse by slowing down services and increasing prices, because guess, guess what? It encourages people not to use the postal, postal service. In my own office, you know, we have tens of thousands of pieces of correspondence that we have to get out the door um, every year. I forgot the number, it's, it's a huge, uh, maybe in the hundreds of thousands. And right now, what we have to do, folks, to make sure that vital pieces of correspondence make it to their destination is we, we send it by USPS, and then we also email it as well, because we don't want um, you know, someone's uh, passport or some uh, other vital document or piece of information to get lost. And that's what a lot of people are going to do. Um, and that's going to only take business away from the Postal Service. Yeah, I, I, that, that's been our practice as well. I have a, a, an ongoing law practice. My office is literally walking distance down the street from the courthouse. And uh, during the, the worst of this, in October and November of, of last year, um, of, of 2020, uh, it took, there, there were court notices that took months to arrive at my office, right? I mean, that, you know, again, you could have attached, you could have stapled to the back of a turtle and pointed it in our direction. <laughs> yeah. And, and it would have made it there in time. I'm a veteran. I, I yeah. rely on getting my medications in, in the mail. And as you were talking about some of these undue burdens and albatross, uh, it just dawned on me, what if the Department of Veterans Affairs were expected to set aside 70 years of compensation and retiree <laughs> pay and health care pay for the... Ne- for, we, no. we have enough, we have a hard enough time doing it for two years at a time with VA budgets. And, and so it's, it's just absolutely, it's just absurd. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad that, that you're working on this with, with both the president the, and, uh, and the, the Board of Governors. Well, absolutely. And, and my understanding is that because that's a legislative requirement, right, it's obviously going to be a challenge to remove that, that pre-funding. But it sounds like one of the things that we can do is bring some honesty to the, the post office debate in, in pointing out that uh, their numbers showing the USPS in the red are, you know, essentially cooked books. Is that right? That's right. I think that um, my, my understanding is that if you remove that pre-funding mandate, uh, for several years uh, in the past, they would be in the black, essentially. Now, um, there have been other changes, as you know, uh, that they have to contend with, namely the increase in parcels and packages due to Amazon uh, and the like, and also the reduction in first-class mail as people go to other uh, you know, email and other digital forms of uh, transmitting correspondence. But you know, putting a pre-funding mandate around their neck really hampers their ability to respond to the marketplace. One thing I was just going to say, based on uh, going back to something Allison mentioned before, remember the Postal Service from the founding of the country has been meant to bind the country. Regardless of where you are in the country, you should always be able to depend on the Postal Service to both send and receive mail. Well, it just turns out that America is a big place. (laughs) <laughs> and it's in some places it's sparsely populated and others it's dense. But what we want to do is make sure that nobody's discriminated against. And that's what the Postal Service has done as a service, not as a for-profit 
um, uh, means of, of making money. So that's really important to, to point out. We don't want a stamp to be a different cost. You know, for instance, uh, whether you're in Chicago or whether you're in, you know, rural uh, Nebraska. And that's just something that Americans have come to rely on and expect. Yeah, I, I, I think that's that's an excellent point. I, you know, and I would add to that, that that last mile coverage to rural Nebraska, to remote areas is, I, I mean, as far as I know, right, private delivery companies you rely on the posts the post office for that last mile right that's right fedex amazon um all of these uh ups all of these entities actually pay the postal service for the most part to do those deliveries for the last mile to these rural or remote areas yeah all right so uh i i want to ask a, a a, a, a pessimist or at least a worrisome question, right? Which is, I, I understand from um, your discussion on the progress that you've made with the president in terms of replacing the board members, uh, that uh, essentially the timeline you're looking at is uh, once those board members are confirmed, we'll have the votes to to vote for a new postmaster general. Um, well, what what are you worried about the current postmaster general sort of doing to sabotage things while you know the the slow moving uh, uh, effort to 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 oust him is is underway, and how what do we I'm protect really, against that? Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, what what I'm really worried about, Andrew, is you know we have another election coming up, as you know, in 22, and so we're going to have to watch him like a hawk, as well as. Uh, his lieutenants to make sure that they don't institute further slowdowns during this election year at the same time that so many millions of people are going to be voting by mail again. Um, we need to make sure that uh, they don't um, increase prices more this year or do other things that would create disruptions. What I'm most, if, if I had to be just flat out honest with you, we're, we can't afford to lose more customers for the USPS. You know, a lot of people have choices, as you as you can tell. Uh, they don't necessarily have to use USPS. They could go to other um, uh, forms of uh, uh, parcel mailing and so forth. And and if this guy continues uh, messing things up, uh, you know, people are going to exercise their options and they're not going to come back and it's just going to put the USPS in a further worse position. Yeah, I think that that's that's an excellent point. And and I'm, I'm glad you, you've emphasized that. Yeah, a lot of uh, there'll be more cleanup than <laughs> than there, the, there would have otherwise been. Uh, if we could shift gears a little bit, um, I'd like to talk about some of your oversight, uh, other oversight roles uh, in Congress. And I, I think there's a general sense among those of us on the left, uh, of frustration in terms of holding prior regimes responsible for their criminal activity. Uh, Merrick Garland's January 6th, January 5th speech urged patience and, of course, didn't really comment on any ongoing investigations, although he went a little further than I thought he would when he said, we're going to go after everyone at any level. I didn't think he was mm -hmm. going to be that specific. Are you satisfied with the current state of the Department of Justice's investigation into Trump, his family, his, his lieutenants, his allies, um, as as it's happening either alongside or waiting for the January 6th committee? 
Um, honestly, I'm a little bit dissatisfied. Uh, I'm a little impatient. You know, I lived through January 6th, as did my colleagues, and um, I'll never forget the ear splitting, uh, pounding on my office door as Capitol Police evacuated me from my office when they discovered a bomb 200 feet from my office window. And, um, you know, I still, we still live with the aftermath of that today. And, you know, 2,000 people breached the Capitol violently. 700 people have been arrested, 70 have been sentenced, and looks like 30 to 40 are going to jail right now. And to me, I think we got to pick up the tempo and we got to hustle and make sure that we uh, get those other 1,300 people who haven't been arrested yet or charged. And then we have to fully prosecute the rest because if we don't, then basically we're sending the message to these people that you got away with it and you can feel free to do it again. And we can't afford for that to happen. Now, does the DOJ need additional resources? Does it need more manpower? Perhaps. I mean, this is a huge sprawling investigation. There's no doubt about it. But then ask us for it. Ask us in Congress for it now, because we don't know what's going to happen in 2022. We don't want the Republicans to take one branch of Congress and then impede or strangle or maybe even end the investigation uh, later on. So we got to hustle right now. Yeah, I, I, I think that that call for urgency is is well placed. Um, let me ask the question sort of directly about going up the chain, right? And again, I think this is doing some reading between the lines of uh, of of the attorney general's uh, speech uh, on January fifth. Um, uh, he he promised <laughs> to you know sort of look to the sources. Um, it, I, I think during the second impeachment, a significant amount of effort was expended on demonstrating the the funding uh, and the coordination coming out of the White House, uh, utilizing organizations like the Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, Three Percenters, that 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 sort of thing. Um, do, what do you know, uh, or you know, what what sort of can we look for in terms of? Um, kind of looking past, looking up the chain from the 2,000 folks who breached the Capitol to the folks who coordinated, were in charge of logistics, sent water bottles, handled, you know, telephone, uh, you know, cell phone coordination, that, that sort of thing. I think we absolutely have to go wherever the investigation leads. Um, my concern is um, precisely about those people who were not at the Capitol, who clearly there was there was forethought here. There was intelligent planning with regard to what happened. Um, we don't even have the bomb makers uh, in custody. You know, the, the bombs that were planted at the RNC by my office and then the bomb at the DNC, uh, we still don't know who planted them or who made the bombs. Um, and this is um, deeply disconcerting. All that being said, I do believe the attorney general when he says that he's going to be going after all these other people. And perhaps within their investigation, they have leads uh, that they are following, um, especially as they've been prosecuting from the ground up. My only request um, is we got to hustle. Uh, there's It's got to be 
um, a 24 seven operation at this point. Um, and if we don't undertake that kind of operation, I guarantee you, I saw this play out before, the Republicans absolutely will condition their oversight, their appropriations, anything that they can get their hands on should they come to power in any, in any branch of Congress um, and, and just try to throw a monkey wrench into this whole thing because they wanted this to go away yesterday. They don't want anything to do with this. They know it's a big um, uh, loser for them, uh, the way that they've handled it. And so, you know, we have to act accordingly now. Yeah, and 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 that's exactly what you said is one of my main concerns. When Merrick Garland had pointed out, "Hey, we have twenty thousand hours of videotape, fifteen terabytes of information to go through, um, uh, only five thousand subpoenas seems low uh, in, in this <laughs> kind of sprawling investigation." But he didn't come out and say, "And here are the resources we are putting on this, and here I'm pulling people from every all these offices to do this and." And we are maybe trying to seek other venues uh, because, you know, the courts are backed up already because of COVID. And now you're jamming a thousand people <laughs> into into that system that was already uh, straining and struggling. And we and we I don't think we have enough judges on the on the federal bench as it is right now. Uh, and so that's what I was kind of hoping for that we didn't really get is where what the resources are. Have they asked for any money? Uh, and additional resources and to kind of at least convey, I know they know it's important, but to <laughs> convey to the American people the sense of urgency, this kind of urgency we saw after 9-11, uh, that's what I was thing, looking for. Yeah. And, and here's my other concern, Allison, which is when you don't, pro like, let's just take the 700 people who are already been arrested and charged, uh, 150 of them have been sentenced or entered into plea deals but the rest are kind of awaiting prosecution or in different stages. And um, they're already being called by the other side as political prisoners and people detained without cause. I mean, this is what happens when you're not like, you know, just hustling these people through the system. Uh, everybody deserves due process. There's no doubt about it. We're not against that. But at the same time, we, we, we have to um, view this with a, kind of a greater sense of urgency, in my opinion, than perhaps any other prosecution that we've seen in recent memory. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to me, that dovetails with what we've seen on the other side, which is um, what I would call sort of eff efforts to gaslight America about what happened on 1-6, um, reframe the narrative. I mean, all the way to, you know, the, these were disaffected tourists right. or, Jim or Jordan's letter is just full of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, how, how, how much does, does, does that sort of the larger narrative work concern you and what can we do about that? I think it does concern me and, you know, it, it galls me when I hear Paul Gosar or somebody else in one of our hearings call them tourists and um, you know, uh, peaceful law abiding citizens um, I don't know too many law-abiding citizens who break the windows of uh, the Capitol. Um, they're criminals to me, and uh, or assault police officers or law enforcement officials or worse. I think the only way that we can uh, change the narrative, in my opinion, is um, we've got to 
we've got to rush the information out there as quickly as possible about what we are finding and what these people, um, what we're finding about what they've done. Um, I think ma shedding maximum uh, sunlight and bringing transparency uh, helps to uh, change the narrative quickly. It's like the other day when Liz Cheney started reading those text messages from Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram and all those right-wing uh, conservative uh, talking heads, um, I think that caught people's attention. And it's really hard to, at that point, uh, say this is just fake news when she's reading <laughs> word for word what they said. That puts them on the defensive immediately. Um, and that type of information is what we need to get out there now. Um, and it needs to be fast um, at the same time that we're you know, balancing the need to conduct an investigation uh, with you know, bringing accountability in the court of public opinion, because we do need to change hearts and minds as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I have one final question for you about your role in oversight, intel, COVID subcommittee. Uh, I know that for a long time uh, during investigations uh, into the Trump-Russia situation, when, when Bill Barr was the attorney general, there were, there were I, th I think, referrals made to the Department of Justice for uh, folks like Kushner, Don Jr., Eric Prince, and their testimony to Congress. Uh, that Congress has expired. And I was wondering if there are any outstanding active criminal referrals from Intel Oversight, uh, the COVID subcommittee to the Department of Justice that you can tell us about, if you're able to tell us about those. Um, I believe that there were from the last Congress. I don't think that they necessarily are just dead because Trump can kill them. Um, and so, it, but it's up to the Biden administration to kind of look at them and decide for itself what it's gonna do with them. And then for us to bring it back to their attention. Um, so uh, with regard to the, the, the Russia investigation and so forth, uh, there is some talk with regard to certain key uh, officials whose testimony was just flat out um, false, uh, what to do about them and, and how to hold them accountable. Excuse me. At the same time uh, that we're kind of balancing January 6th and the whole investigation there. So we're just trying to uh, obviously walk and chew gum at the same time. <laughs> Definitely. Well, uh, Congressman, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Um, and uh, and 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 uh, I don't know if there's anything that uh, on which you'd like to end. Uh, we just want to express our appreciation for giving us a little bit of the view from the inside. Well, I just want to thank you and Allison, uh, Andrew, for everything that you do. Um, and thank you to all your listeners for paying close attention to what's happening here in Washington. Um, I still believe that transparency, accountability are incredibly important, and we should not give up on those issues, regardless of any other agenda items that we pursue, because I find that only through transparency and accountability can we possibly prevent this behavior from occurring again and holding those um, to account who committed wrongdoing in the past. You can't just sweep it under the rug. You have to deal with it. Um, that's, the, that's the American system. Yeah, no one is above the law.
Equal justice under the law. Here, here. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Illinois' 8th Congressional Representative, uh, Raja Krishnamurthy. I really appreciate your time today, Congressman, and thank you. Thank you so much. Man, what a smart, awesome oh. dude. I absolutely love him. He's one of my favorite. He's one of my favorite members of Congress. Yeah, yeah, me too. That was fantastic. Um, I it, I love that we got candid answers. I love that you uh, got in the question at the end. We we're breaking some news yeah, here. I can't believe um, he told me about that. <laughs> I was like, because you, you haven't heard me tee up the question. I'm like, you don't have to tell me. But right, right. <laughs> Uh, I wanted to know because, you know, you know, from back from the Mueller, she wrote days. We know we know yep. Lewandowski lied his face off. Eric Prince lied his face off. Kushner lied his face off. Junior lied his face off. And, and they made criminal referrals. That 117th Congress, I think, uh, yep. House Intel made those criminal referrals to the Department of Justice under bar, of course. And so, uh, you know, I imagine nothing. Yeah. So they went nowhere. Well, right? Yeah, <laughs> we went to the circular file. But. You know, I was wondering, yeah, you, you re-up him, what's happening? And for him to actually say, oh, we're, we're having chats about that. Yep. They, and, and you know, flat out falsehoods to Congress. I was like, whoa, thanks. It, nice. It, and, and, and so much of this is applying pressure in the right places to the folks who will listen, right? And, and uh, you know, that resulted in uh, President Biden taking action with respect to the Postal Board. Um, you know, it's <laughs> things, things can take a while to unfold, but, um, yeah, but in that he know, was saying, we can't, you know, we have to hold these people accountable. We have yeah. to. And that's why and then I was like, how about these people? You know, yeah, I, <laughs> so I, right in there. I, 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 th that was, that was a, a fantastic and a great moment. And, you know, it, it, uh, we continue to share, I mean, you heard, uh, you know, representative Krishnamurthy, share all, all of our perspective at, you know, wishing that, uh, that we had more information and that, um, and that these things w were moving more quickly. Uh, but, uh, it is, it is good to know that we have an ally in Congress who is, uh, watching these folks, uh, and has a long memory and is, uh, and is pushing for, uh, the, uh, the, the kinds of the, the kinds of accountability that uh, that 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 we demand and that that underlie the show. So, yeah, and and since the since the show came out last week, we had the the um, remarks from the attorney general, which yep. uh, went beyond what I thought. In fact, I kind of yep. want to change our intro to include, <laughs> you know, that little we more should. Yeah. bit of a uh, bit of a detail about um, you know because before it was just I'll follow the facts to hold everyone accountable. Now it's at any level, whether you were there I, at the Capitol I, or not that day. I, it it and 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 I'm glad I'm glad you set me up for this. I mean, we we broke down those remarks on on opening arguments. Um, to me, that was the key clause, right? Whether you were there or not. Right. There is only one reason to say that. <laughs> and he didn't say we will hold you uh, accountable for, uh, for uh, criminally accountable for the attack on the Capitol. He said for the attack on democracy. Yep. Yep. And and that widened the scope a little bit because I was concerned he started with the attack on the Capitol. I was yeah. like, back up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about John Eastman. Let's talk about establishing a war room. Let's talk about teeing up, you know, supposed uh, ambiguities in the Electoral Count Act and uh, and using that as a basis to lie to the American public and say we do not have a slate of electors. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's 
that we, you know, we, we live in terrifying times and, um, and I'm glad that, uh, glad that there are some folks who get that. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, you know, we got so used to four years of horrible, awful ad-libbing and that words didn't mean anything, you know, just to get up and say, well, you know, voter fraud, 1700 ballots in Texas, Bill Barr, or, you know, Trump, whatever comes out of his mouth. Uh, it's just shooting from the hip. Uh, you know, we, I think, you know, getting back to a place where you have to understand that every single individual word that is written and spoken by this attorney general is deliberate and has yeah. meaning and is thought about. And he, you know, where he's looking at a sentence saying, do you think that that infers that I am not including this group of people? And they, you know, they have a conference about words and how much they matter. And, and, the, you know, this isn't just getting up there and, you know, talking about how we should inject bleach or whatever the fuck, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's deliberate and it's important. And so, you know, people say, oh, you're just, you know, when you, when you read into in between the lines, you're just, you know, you're just a blind faith Garland defender. And I'm like, what makes you I- think that this, this particular <laughs> word right here, first of all, doesn't say what it's clearly sounds like to everyone else but that that you shouldn't read between the lines because that's how that's how lawyers and judges and prosecutors write shit yep yep and look again uh speaking to that we have set milestones we have drawn lines in the sand um if you want to know what uh if (laughs) there's a um (laughs) there's a there's a demand we've I've, i've mentioned this on the show because it um I, I I find it embarrassing, right? Like these are folks who who uh, with whom I share ninety five percent of political goals. Um, there's an embarrassing meme going around uh, that I have mentioned that you know sort of has photographs of uh, of Merrick Garland uh, moderating Federalist Society ACA American Constitution Association uh, debate events, right? And then says, you know, well, you put a member of the Federalist Society in charge of the Department of Justice. Uh, and, and and again, you know, what I said to that when when I first saw that was, um, if that makes Merrick Garland a member of the Federalist Society, it makes me a member of the Federalist Society. I have participated in a Federalist Society debate against now D.C. Circuit Judge Justin Walker. Um, <laughs> there is there is nothing. You're right, that, that Andrew, does not have, imply endorsement. <laughs> I have photographs of, uh, of course, of Judge Sotomayor, <laughs> Justice Breyer, Justice Kagan, and and their uh, panel moderation and and debate whatever for for the Federalist Society. They all have profiles on there. Look up any fucking buddy on the yep. Federalist Society website. Right. The yep. only one I couldn't find was Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who did pop up, but only because they were wishing her uh, a happy birthday. but 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 so so if you're not if you're not persuaded by that right if you are if if you say well you know it still seems kind of fishy uh, uh, again the the counterfactual is right there and we said it in november and december if you were truly a secret undercover centrist trying to to you know uh throw all you know to 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 just make all of this go away then you don't issue the criminal referrals uh, for those who who, deny, who defied the one six subpoenas. 
Um, and and we said that that was a line in the sand, and that if Merrick Garland did not uh, issue cr- criminal indictments for those folks, uh, we would call for him to. And guess what he did, right? Because he's not a secret federalist cabal trying to undermine democracy from inside. And I was the same about the Mo Brooks certification. Yep, request. Uh, there you go. That yep, was a absolutely. red line in the sand for me. Yep. Uh, I was like, dude, if, if the Justice Department says they're going to represent Trump in his lawsuits, but, but Trump hasn't asked for certification, or Mo Brooks in the lawsuits from, from 1-6, yep. I'm out. Yep. Uh, but he didn't. And then yep. uh, every single test that, he, that we've put him up to, and to me, I thought the big test here was he has to say he's going after the leaders. Yep. And and the other test was he needs to come out and tell us something. I, I, I got a wild hair up my ass and said, you know, it would be rad if if Trump is going to give a speech on a press conference on the 6th. Merrick Garland should give one on the 5th. Actually, I think I said the, the D.C. U.S. attorney. <laughs> you did. You should did. give one on the 5th, uh, you know, to, and, and come out and just give us an update on the thing. And everyone's like, yeah, he should. Fucking where's that Federalist? And then he comes and they're still like, I hate what he said, you know. Or he gets up and he says he's going after the leaders. Yeah, but he didn't name them. You know, it's like nothing will ever be good enough. Um, and I think that that's just sort of where we're at. Uh, and you know what? The the way that justice ends up, we've got a race now. We've got a three-way race. Okay, Manhattan District Attorney, Fulton County DA, who came out today and said by the end, by the mid middle of this year, probably definitely into 2022, she'll make a charging decision. And the feds. Uh, who's going to indict first, right? Who's going to indict first? Uh, and, uh, you know, my, my money, my, my money is on the, the Manhattan pony, but I'm, I'm still riding Fulton County. That's my horse. She's that's, going that's, faster than I thought. That's, that's what brung me. So I'm, uh, I'm not changing the midstream. So. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> but I mean, there's so many investigations going on. The January 6th committee is doing an amazing yeah. job and anybody that just, just whole cloth shits all over all of it is, is either a disinformation bot or a despair troll. And, and, and Adam Schiff, who has wondered what's happening at the <laughs> DOJ, came out and said in his book, Midnight in Washington, we don't have the luxury of despair. Don't be yeah. that privileged a-hole, you know? Uh, I had more, but I that's how I would love to end this this episode. Right. I endorse that a hundred percent. But I love you all. And and yeah. there are real and reasonable concerns, and I voiced them as well. Uh, yeah. and we will continue to voice them. Uh you, of you don't have to be on one side or the other. There's everything is nuanced. You can hold two thoughts in your head. I know it. Um <laughs> I have a hard time some days. But Anyway, uh, this has been wonderful and thanks again to Congressman Christian Morthy for, for the amazing interview and for for giving us some of his time today. I really appreciate that. Andrew, do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here? No, I just want to echo that and, uh, and, and thank you all. All right, we'll see you next week on Clean Up on Aisle 45. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com.